Yes. So here we are, Good Friday. Welcome to our celebration. It is perhaps one of the stranger celebrations of the Christian calendar, isn't it? Um, I was just talking with with Florence this week, and she said, Dad, why is it called Good Friday if it's the celebration of when Jesus died? That's a bad thing, right? And it's the obvious question, isn't it? Why, Why would we celebrate our darkest day, our yearly commemoration of the day that Jesus was crucified and died? Well, it turns out that the the cross of Christ is at the very center of the Christian faith. The cross and his subsequent resurrection are the things of very first importance to us. Uh, It's the place where both the perfect justice and the enormous mercy of of our God are most clearly displayed. This is the moment in time, the day of history, where Jesus became sin on our behalf. That's what it says, that he made him to be sin who knew no sin. And so that all of us who entrust ourselves to him receive from God the free gifts of forgiveness and reconciliation and eternal life. But perhaps one of the more surprising things about the cross is that it was not a surprise. We can forgive the disciples for being a bit confused beforehand and not understanding what Jesus had been saying to them. They didn't have the knowledge that we have now of what was to come. But the cross was a thing that Jesus walked into willingly. It was a thing that he had been talking about explicitly for some time before it actually happened. And that willingness that Jesus displays on the cross teaches us something very important about the message that God intends for us to hear in the cross. Make no mistake about it, the cross preaches a sermon all on its own. Um, this, This message comes up in a few places in the Bible, but would you turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 10 for a good example of Jesus speaking of the cross beforehand. John 10, and beginning at verse 11, Jesus speaking says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand, and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And so there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Now, this passage here in, in, in John 10, it's part of an extended retelling of a public confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day, typified in the Pharisees. The short version of their relationship is they did not get along particularly well. And here, Jesus is contrasting himself against what he would describe as the spiritually bankrupt uh, religious leaders of his day. He is describing why it is that we all are better off following him rather than people like that. He does that, amongst other things, by using an illustration that would have been familiar to everybody at the time, ordinary life stuff, maybe a bit weird for us. Jesus describes what is called a sheepfold. It's the place where sheep were kept safe overnight in that region at the time. I've got a bit of a photo of one if you want to take a look. This is a sheepfold. You put them on the other side of the wall overnight. The shepherd would sit in the gap in the wall, keeping out the wolves, keeping in the sheep, dual purpose. If you're keeping in the wolves and out the sheep, you're using it wrong. <laughs> that sort of thing. And from this image, Jesus pulls out not just one, but a, a number of points of illustration, a number of things about this image, which he says describe him in the way in which he cares for his sheep. In this metaphor, you and I, we are the sheep, which is the eternally least flattering thing that Jesus has ever said about us. Any of you who've ever had anything to do with sheep, you would know what I'd say when I say that they are God's least favorite animals. What are they for? Wool, pretty good. Lamb, I'll have a bit of that. But as an animal, not a lot of redeeming features. Not known for their cunning intelligence. Not known for their critical thinking abilities. They're stubborn. They're brutal. They get sick because they can't get their own poo off themselves. <laughs> their chief defensive mechanism in life is other sheep. <laughs> we are the sheep. Thank you very much, Jesus. In this metaphor, Jesus is the one, first of all, who enters the sheepfold by the door. He says, everybody else who came in by another way, that's a thief and a robber, I come in by the door, right? I come in the right way. Then he says, I'm the door itself. If you want to come in and go out from God's presence, I'm the door. And finally, what we just read is the last part of the illustration where he says, I'm the shepherd, the good shepherd. This is a record of one of those occasions where Jesus talked about his death before it happened. And one of the striking features I want to draw your attention to is just how intentional Jesus is in choosing the cross. Jesus chose the cross. This is what he's saying ahead of time. He says it a few times in what we just read. The good shepherd, says Jesus, lays down his life for the sheep. Again, later on, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And then just, just in case we'd missed it, he says it a third time. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. You know, it, it seems as if, if we were there at that first Easter, that these events would have seemed like a horrible tragedy, wouldn't they? And they were. You can imagine some of the people who had been there at the triumphal entry a week beforehand, who had not traveled with Jesus for long, but had, had come to the gates of Jerusalem thinking, it's finally happening. That to them, the arrival of Jesus heralded the end of Israel's occupation by the Romans and the reestablishment of, of God's independent nation on this earth. Thinking the time of messianic promise has arrived by their understanding of messianic promise. One week later, hearing of the crucifixion and thinking to themselves, oh no, what has happened? The plan has failed. That's not what was supposed to happen. That's not what we were expecting. And now surely they must be in despair thinking, it's all over. The promised one has been slain. From our merely human point of view, of course that makes sense. But from the mouth of Jesus himself, the crucifixion was the plan. The cross was on purpose. Jesus chose the cross. I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. It is of my own accord. I have this authority to lay it down and take it up again. I mean, we've just read in our service today some detail recorded in our Bibles of the kinds of sufferings which Jesus endured up to and including his crucifixion. And if he knew that that was coming, then he knew how to avoid it, didn't he? When I go to Jerusalem, they will kill me. He knows full well. So surely that means if I don't go to Jerusalem, I don't die. If this was the first Easter today, uh, and Jesus was arrested just, just last night, that would mean that just last night he would have been in the garden where this conversation from Matthew chapter 26 takes place. The soldiers came to arrest him, and Peter, I believe it was, pulls out a sword, starts to go to town. It says, behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, his own, his own follower, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? And yes, that's, that's what Peter is thinking at the time. He's, he's picked him like a dirty nose. Twelve legions of angels. Just, just I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, and I don't go around counting legions very often. But during the late part of the Roman Empire, a legion was about 5,800 people. Which, by my reckoning, 
12 legions is just shy of 70,000 people. I don't know if that's true. It's about right. That's about right. Just shy. I did it on a calculator. I'm pretty sure it's right. <laughs> I'm doubting myself. 70,000. Think about the size of this claim. Even as Jesus was being arrested and taken away, in the moment, from our human perspective, that looks like his most vulnerable, his most endangered, his most helpless. He is claiming that he could have snapped his fingers and an army of heavenly warriors would have appeared to rescue him. Let's say there were a hundred soldiers in the garden. 70,000 angels surely would have been enough to deliver him from their hands. Surely that would be enough not just to conquer the garden, not just to conquer Jerusalem. I reckon I could take the world with 70,000 angels. But the fingers never clicked. It never happened. The moment never came. Peter, put away your sword. I'm doing this on purpose. Jesus healed the wounded servant who had come to arrest him for no reason. And he went with them to be put through false trials, many sufferings, and crucifixion. And so what has to stand out to us as we reflect on Good Friday is that nothing forced Jesus to be there. It wasn't circumstance. It wasn't things outside of his control. It was his own will that took him to the cross. He chose the whole thing. He chose it before it happened. He chose it in continuing to Jerusalem when he knew what was coming. He chose it while it was happening because no angel army appeared. He was there on purpose from go to work. Get your mind around that. It would seem to me that for someone to choose something like that, that they so easily could have avoided, you would have to have a pretty powerful motivation. And we're not left wondering what that motivation might be. Jesus tells us that he chose the cross in order to rescue his sheep. The good shepherd, says Jesus, lays down his life for the sheep. I know my own. My own know me, in verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And again he says, I have other sheep. They're not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and hear his heart. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is his goal. We, we didn't read it before, but just a few verses later, he says it again in verses 27 and 28. He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Because if you want Jesus' sheep, it would take some snatching. He'll fight you for them. 
Jesus chose the cross in order to rescue his sheep. The Bible makes it really explicit that when Jesus died on the cross, it was the atoning sacrifice for sin. The bad news, the human race is in rebellion against our creator. We have earned his judgment and wrath. Our sin, which is just a part of who we are, separates us from the God who made us and makes us his enemies. But the cross is the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament system of worship that God had created to show us how we can be forgiven and reconciled to him. Anyone who has ever come to belong to God throughout the entirety of human history has done so by the grace of the cross of Jesus. That is the only way. The cross is the place where Jesus corrects the wrong our sin creates. And so Jesus chose the cross in order to rescue his sheep. This is one of, if not the chief thing, that separates Jesus from the false religious leaders. They were in it for personal gain, for celebrity, for influence, for authority, for prestige. What they weren't in it for was the sheep. They were in it for themselves. They did not care a whit for the people they were leading. They were a means to an end. And isn't that such a human trait? We do this, don't we? We see it all the time. This is why we don't implicitly trust our leaders, whoever they are. Because there is a tragic quirk of human nature, a product of sin. That means that when we gain authority over others, something happens in our heart all too frequently and we get a big view of ourselves. We start to trample on the ones beneath us. It's a tale as old as time. It's happened everywhere, all of the time, throughout the whole of our history. All of our systems of governance and accountability have been put in place to try and curb this one aspect of human nature. But Jesus isn't like that. If he was in this selfishly, he avoids the cross. He goes another way. No, he chose the cross because in doing so, he is choosing his sheep. The cross is the way to rescue them. So that's the way I go. If we miss the affection that Jesus has for his sheep as displayed in his cross, we are not paying attention. The cross is the place where atonement happens and God is communicating to you here on Good Friday. The main purpose of the cross is the atonement and yet it preaches a message. What does God want us to see? What does God want us to hear about him in the cross? Yes, there'll be more than one thing we can find. For example, it is the place where we see his perfect holiness and his enormous mercy sitting side by side. We learn something about him. 
There's lots of messages in the cross. But here is one that we absolutely must see. It's this. Jesus wants his sheep. He wants them. God actually wants you to be part of his family. He wants to be reconciled to you. The cross is why reconciliation is possible. And so the cross is also how we know he wants us. He didn't need to do it. He chose to do it for the sheep so that we can be with him where he is. So that no one can snatch you from his hands. So that there will be one flock and one shepherd. And because that's what he wants. The cross. Did you come here today realizing that God wants you to belong to him? We can misunderstand that. God doesn't worship us. We aren't the star in his sky. We're not above him. He's not not pining after us like some, some lost puppy. Those terrible vampire movies. It's true that God's ultimate motive is to glorify himself in all things. We aren't the main character of the story. But there is a mistake in the other direction which we also make. Which is to think like this. I think he might be willing to forgive us, but ultimately he thinks I'm a nuisance. Do you ever think like that? That God is reluctantly putting up with us as his people. He tolerates us, but he doesn't like us. That's not it. Look at the cross. We are precious to him. You are precious to him. God cares for his sheep. The hired hand cares nothing for the sheep. The good shepherd laid down his life for us. The hired hand sees the danger and flees. The good shepherd has walked into danger to protect you. Thieves have come to steal, to kill and destroy. But he has come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's important. We, we, need to, we need to understand this for the whole thing to work properly. The whole call of the Christian faith is that we, we, we are meant to, on the basis of trust, to hand our whole selves over to God as Saviour and Lord. To, to entrust your eternal soul to his care. To let him have the steering wheel and the plans of the days of your life. To dictate how you spend your time and your money. The kind of person you would marry. The way in which we do every detail of life belongs to him as part of our faith. And of course, that's hard to do. Who on earth is worth giving that kind of trust to? Placing your faith in Jesus makes you vulnerable. Placing your faith in anyone makes you vulnerable. Who can I trust like that? Won't they misuse it? That's the fear. 
And so to know how much he cares for us tells us that we can trust him. Our God is good and he is kind and he treats us well, far better than we deserve. To know that he is devoted to us is essential. Today we celebrate the cross. The thing that Jesus self-selected, that he chose on purpose. And now by that cross, he is calling you in. This is his cry. Come and know the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace and the life that I have fought for on your behalf. Come and know what it is to belong to the one who loves you most. Come. And so I extend that same invitation to you today. The salvation which Jesus has won is received by grace and through faith. Not by earning, not by doing, but by trust. If you don't know what that means, hunt me down afterwards. I'd love to have that chat with you. But today, if we hear nothing else, hear this. Jesus himself is inviting you in to belong to God, to know him even as you are known, to live with him and to walk with him because Jesus wants his sheep. Let's pray. Mm. Father, Good Friday is a strange day. The, the mingling of grief and hope like no other. It's never nice to read in your word the, the account of the death of Christ. I, I, I grieve every time. Just this morning, <laughs> listening to the religious leaders of his day cry, we have no king but Caesar. the tragedy of that day has hit me afresh. Thank you that you are not like them. Father, there is none like you. There is no one who is good like you were good. There was no one who is gracious like you were gracious. We thank you for sending your son to rescue and to redeem to purchase and to wash. Jesus, we thank you that you didn't listen to the lies, that you didn't follow the path of least resistance in service of yourself. We thank you that you chose this cross and in doing so chose us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you take what Jesus has done and make it ours. That the redemption, the atonement, 
the righteousness of the cross is put to powerful work within us by your presence. And that you are our promise and our seal and our hope that it has worked, that we are included and that no one will ever snatch us from his hand. Would anyone here today who has yet to trust in you, Lord Jesus, as Saviour and Lord, hear your call? Would they know your invitation to come and to be reconciled to God by the only way it can be done? By your cross. Would they know that they are welcome and wanted? Would they know that they, that there is grace for them? For those of us, Father, who do belong to you already, would today be a refocusing day, a day which causes our eyes to be lifted up past the the muck and the mire and the trudgery of day-to-day life and to again and afresh remember that we have been caught up in the biggest story there is. That there is a being... (laughs) beyond our comprehension, who has been delighted to love us selflessly and painfully at a great cost. Father, would your grace transform us? Would it increase our love for you? Would it set us free? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.